Welcome to the Wonder of It All podcast, where we are learning how to live in the sacredness of wonder. Thank you for listening. My name is Angela, and here's your host, my dad, Ben Brewster. Take it away, Dad. Hey, friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Wonder of It All. It's another week as well. Can you believe that only like two weeks ago, most of the United States was under an incredible winter storm warning? In fact, most of us got hit hard by this. I know here in northwest Louisiana, we saw temperatures, low temperatures, that we had not seen in 100 years. Not me personally, because I wasn't around, but according to the records, these are temperatures we hadn't seen in like 100 years. And today, it's 70 degrees. It's sunny. It's gorgeous outside. All of this happened within a couple of weeks. So, so much changes so quickly. And what an incredible reminder of the wonderful world that we live in. I mean, this is incredible. There are so many amazing, wonderful things in this world that we get to experience. I want to tell you how much it means to me that you're listening today. How much it means to me that you listen to the episodes that are put out. Because, let's face it, there are a million, jillion podcasts out there. And if you're like me, you have a list and you're trying to get through the list, and you're trying to stay up to date with the newest episodes, and you fall horribly behind. I I find myself scrambling. I don't have time to listen to these. I want to listen to this. And, and, And then I find a new podcast, and that gets my attention, and I put it on the list, and I wind up getting so far behind with all of these episodes. So it means so very much to me that you would take your time, your precious time, and listen to this podcast and to this episode because, you know, we just don't have enough time to listen to all the podcasts that we want to listen to. And there are some really great ones out there. So I just want you to know how much it means to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week to listen to the wonder of it all. Today, I am so excited about this episode. We are talking about Theophilus Brown Larimore. Now, I don't know if you know anybody named Theophilus. I've never personally met anybody with that name. But T.B. Larimore, as he is more commonly known, was a preacher in the 19th, 20th century uh, here in the United States, primarily in the American South before he moved to California. And the reason he is so important is because he models for us what unity among Christians looks like. He shows us how we can resist plunging into the pool of division and sectarianism and debates and throwing rocks at people who don't think like we do who don't share the same interpretations that we have. This is why I am so excited about the episode today, because T.B. Larimore is one of my heroes for these reasons. Now, of course, the standard 
that I try to apply my life to is always going to be Jesus. I'm trying to think like Jesus, have his attitude, trying to treat people like Jesus, trying to talk like Jesus. And it's really hard. It's a lot harder than it sounds like. And, and so Jesus is that model, but people like T.B. Laramore are heroes to me because they seem to have done so well in following the model of Jesus. T.B. Laramore was born in 1843, so he died long before I ever made my appearance here uh, on the earth. But he had a very tough childhood. He grew up in poverty. Uh, he had to deal with a lot of criticism and people not believing in him. He had a, a, a teacher, when he first went to school, tell him that he was probably never going to learn how to read and write. Uh, another time, he wanted to save up money to, uh, to buy a calf. And he found, uh, he talked to the owner of the calf and said, can I work for you until I, I, I earn $40 so I can buy this calf? Well, that was going to be a long amount of work. And, and, and the guy told him, said, you know what, you're never even going to be worth $40. So Larimore really had a lot to overcome early in his life. I mean, imagine that. You know, growing up in poverty, he would he would work for a month on a farm for the wages of four dollars. And here he is trying to work so he can he can buy this calf, and he's told that he will never be as worth worth as much as this calf. I mean, those are devastating comments. And and one of the, the reasons these stories are important, because when we look at the at our heroes, the people we look up to, the, the people that we try to emulate, the people we even revere. It is good for us to know that they had to overcome some horrible things, people who doubted them, people who said horribly mean things to them, people who, who ran them down with their words. And T.B. Laramore was no exception. Now, I'll, I want to skip past a lot of Laramore's childhood and, and, and go up to 1859, when he enrolled in Massey Creek Baptist College in Jefferson County, Tennessee. Uh, Laramore really struggled with religion early on in his life. Uh, his mother was devoutly religious, and so Laramore found himself trying to get religion. And so he would go to these revivals, and, and he would frequently go down to what was called the mourner's bench, which was a place to, to go and confess your sins and repent and, and try to get right with God. Today, some churches would refer to this as the altar. Um, you know, in the churches of Christ, of which I'm a part, uh, we talk about coming down to the front during what's called the invitation song, which is the song immediately following the sermon. So the mourner's bench was a, a tool of the 19th century, particularly uh, in revivals, to, to help people come to repentance. But Laramore really struggled to get religion. And finally, his mother told him one time, you don't have to get religion, you practice it. But still, Laramore struggled to find his place in the Christian faith and, and, and understand this relationship with God. Well, in the late 1850s, the war drums were beating throughout the United States. The Civil War was impending. The states were going to fracture. Our country was going to be divided. And few, uh, several weeks before the Civil War, Laramore enlisted in the Confederate Army. One of his first duties was to 
volunteer to retrieve a Confederate general's body, who had, who had uh, a general who had been killed. And then following that uh, endeavor, he was used as a scout. But he was captured by Union forces. They gave him the choice, take an oath that you will you will not rejoin this conflict. You will not fight in this battle again. And so he did that, and he was allowed to go back home. Now, Larimore never experienced time in combat. He never took the life of someone on, on the other side. But after his time in the Civil War, he moved to Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And he began attending church. And on July 10th, 1864, which was his 21st birthday, he was baptized by an elder at the church where he was attending. He began to teach school because education was a passion of his throughout his life. But two weeks after his baptism, he preached his very first sermon. The biblical text that he used was John chapter 17. Why is that important? Well, that includes Jesus' prayer for the unity of all who would follow him. He, he, he says to God, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one, and I pray that, that they will be one so the world will know that you sent me. That theme of Christian unity becomes a trademark of Larimore's life in his ministry from here on out. In fact, it will be something he remains focused on uh, in his preaching and in his teaching. It, it's not something that he felt was unattainable, but it's something that we should all pursue, and he modeled that throughout his ministry. In 1866, Larimore enrolled at Franklin College, where he became acquainted with a educator and a preacher by the name of Tolbert Fanning. And, and Fanning had a tremendous impact on Larimore, and Larimore also seemed to have had an impact on Fanning as well. And, and the two developed an admiration for each other. When Larimore's time at Franklin College came to an end, Fanning told him, I have never failed to correctly read a man when I had a good chance. You may never accumulate a fortune, but you'll never depart from the faith or bring reproach upon the cause of Christ. Now, that was very prophetic because I think Larimore fulfilled those words. Well, after he left Franklin College, he embarked on a preaching tour throughout Middle Tennessee and Northern Alabama. And early in 1868, he met a girl named Esther. The two of them fell in love, and they were married in August of that year. Now, Esther was very interested in education, and it was a passion of hers like it was for T.B. Larimore. And so together in 1871, they founded Mars Hill College, or Mars Hill Academy in Florence, Alabama. And both of them were so involved in this. Larimore himself uh, was very involved in the lives of the students, particularly those students who were planning to enter into the full-time ministry afterwards. But during this time, Larimore, uh, his reputation as a preacher continued to grow. And his preaching was characterized by an intense focus on Jesus. 
we have a number of his sermons still preserved for us today, and that theme runs throughout. Larimore did not address or preach on issues or controversial topics of the day. He often remarked that he would leave such matters to those smarter than him. He believed with all of his heart that his primary mission, his primary purpose, was to preach Jesus, no more and no less. Mars Hill School was short-lived. Larimore closed it in 1889. As his reputation uh, as a preacher grew, the requests came in. Come meet, come do an event here, come stay with us and, and preach for a number of days or weeks. And Larimore just could not balance running the Mars Hill School and doing the work of preaching, which he loved so much, which was a passion of his. So he closes the school and he begins the life of an itinerant preacher. His preaching tours usually lasted for several weeks and in some cases several months. Uh, his schedule typically was he would preach three times on Sunday and twice every other day. Now during this time, in 1891, Larimore was offered the presidency of the Nashville Bible School, and he refused. And the story behind why he refused was the fact that Larimore did not want to be put into a corner where he would have to take a stand on controversial issues that were dividing Christians at that time, particularly within the churches of Christ. He did not address those issues in his preaching, and he had no desire to do so. And he didn't want to be in a situation where a constituency could put pressure on him to take such stands that he did not want to take himself. Larimore taught us how to avoid becoming a sectarian, avoid latching on to a few issues and, and, and using those issues as a reason to separate from everybody else who follows Jesus. So Larimore was never defined by those issues. He was never defined by a particular group or a party within his faith. On the other hand, he was a seeker of truth, and he loved truth, as one person referred to him at that time. Now, that doesn't mean that people didn't try to get him to take a stand on the issue. Larimore had to deal with this throughout his life and his ministry. In July of 1897, a preacher from Birmingham, Alabama named Oscar Spiegel who happened to be a former student of T.B. Larimore's, wrote an open letter to T.B. Larimore, which was printed in the pages of the Christian Standard, which was a, a very influential journal of that particular time. And in this open letter, he asked Larimore to state his position on four issues, and he named four of the controversial issues that were swirling uh, around at that time. And then as he concluded his open letter, he put additional pressure on Larimore by writing, Thousands of your brethren and sisters believe it is your duty to speak out on these questions and strive to unite, if possible, the people of God. You know, it was one thing for him to call 
Laramore out in such a public way? I mean, this is a former student. Why didn't he contact Laramore privately? But it's another thing to to say it is your duty to speak out on this because Laramore saw as his duty to preach Jesus. That was his duty, not to to take a stand on these other issues. And, and notice then then Spiegel puts this pressure on him uh, to speak out on these questions and strive to unite, if possible, the people of God, as if Laramore is the final say, as if when he takes a stand on one of these issues, people are going to come together. Laramore knew that wasn't the case. Laramore knew that he was not the voice of authority in this in this particular situation. And Laramore's response is absolutely beautiful. He writes, Never, publicly or privately, have I expressed opinion or preference relative to any of these matters over which brethren are wrangling and disputing and dividing the church of Christ. Never. I am for Christ, and I believe I can do more for him, his cause, and humanity without meddling with these matters. Hence, I let them alone and just simply preach the word, the gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation. While thousands have stood before me, hand in mine, and made the good confession, I have never questioned any of them about these matters. Shall I now renounce and disfellowship all of these who do not understand these things exactly as I understand them? They may refuse to recognize or fellowship or affiliate with me, but I will never refuse to recognize or fellowship or affiliate with them. Never. I am as apt to be wrong as my brother. Neither one of us is infallible. I must love my brethren and never refuse to fellowship them, any of them, simply because we do not always understand all questions exactly alike. The humility of Laramore's response is absolutely staggering. Here he is, a well-known preacher, looked up to, highly respected, incredibly influential. And Laramore comes out and he says, look, he can understand that people can reach different conclusions. And he also realizes that he is as likely to be wrong as somebody else. Laramore understood something about opinions and interpretations. We all are interpreters of the Bible. Every time we read the Bible, we interpret what these verses are saying. What do they mean? How do they they matter to my life? What's the practical aspect of it? What does it matter? So we have to formulate these conclusions. And so we study and we do our best to do this in a, in a very good way, in a beneficial way. But at the end of the day, we form opinions, and those opinions could be good, and those opinions could be strong, but we cannot make our opinions the law for other people. We cannot say, this is the only way, and if you don't agree with me, then you don't love Jesus, and you don't respect the Bible, and you don't really care. That's simply not the case. And Laramore reminds us of how important it is to realize that. 
Larimore was both unique and successful. He was unique in the diversity of people he attracted through his preaching. People who would be considered legalists or conservatives. People who would be labeled progressives or liberals. He impacted them all. I'm not sure there's ever been another preacher in the churches of Christ who crossed over so many barriers and dividing lines as T.B. Larimore did. He made such a huge impact on all who heard him and all who knew him. But not everybody appreciated his commitment to not get involved in controversial issues. Larimore, he had no desire to be a part of debates, and he definitely didn't want to be a part of division or anything that would look like sectarianism. And that led to criticism. In 1901, ten years after he had refused the presidency of the Nashville Bible School, James A. Harding, who was then the president of the school, refused to allow Larimore to speak on campus. Harding said Larimore would never be allowed to speak on campus until he addressed a particular controversial issue, which Harding believed was extremely important. So, why did Larimore not take a public stand on such issues that were dividing Christians and, and causing uh, churches to break up into even smaller groups? In, in a private letter to a friend, Larimore outlined why he refused to take these stands. He writes, I do not pitch into my brethren who do not do exactly as I do, or understand everything just as I do, for two reasons. Number one, I can understand how it is possible for them to act correctly and still not always do as I do. Number two, I love my brethren, and long, long ago, solemnly resolved to never go to war with them, or rather, against them. It seems to suit some good brethren to dispute with each other, but it does not suit me. Larimore's grasp on how important it was to maintain the direction he was going comes out in this, in the, in the acknowledgement that just because someone doesn't do exactly as you do doesn't mean that they're not acting correctly. And how about his commitment that he has made this unswerving commitment to love his brothers and sisters in Christ and to not go to war against them. Now, that didn't eliminate the critics from Larimore's life. He had plenty of them. And as he talked about his critics, he wrote, They seem determined to crush me or compel me to do what I believe to be wrong. They may do the former. I will never do the latter nor will I ever deny anything of which they accuse me and thus be drawn into a row or wrangle. My business is to preach the word. If they accuse me of stealing sheep, I shall not deny it, but simply continue to preach Christ and him crucified. If they stab me in the back while my face is to the common foe, I cannot help it, nor shall I ever resent it or in any way try to avenge myself or injure them. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, 
shall be my constant and only reply. Regarding his critics, he went on to make another statement. He said, They may disfellowship me, but I will never disfellowship them. Throughout his life, Larimore had a list of nevers that he tried to practice. Here are three of them. Never speak evil of anyone. Never misrepresent any person, place, or thing. Never trifle with the feelings, rights, or reputation of anyone. Even with his commitment to unity and not becoming involved in the controversies of the day. Throughout his life, people tried to pull him in, regardless. Even his students at Mars Hill School. They would ask him from time to time, Brother Larimore, where do you stand on the issues? To which Larimore would respond, I prefer to sit on the issues and stand for Christ. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you've been as inspired by T.B. Larimore as I continue to be every day. And one of the things that speaks to me so directly from Larimore's life in preaching is that to follow Jesus is to live in wonder. To embrace what is greater rather than settle for what is less is to live a life of wonder. So until we until we see each other again next week, keep living in wonder and take care. <laughs>